Hello and welcome to Rural Business Uncovered, brought to you by the CLA, where each week we discuss matters affecting the rural sector. The Country Land and Business Association are the only organisation dedicated to protecting and defending the rights of landowners and rural businesses. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, how to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, how to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. As we're all aware, pressures on the rural economy are growing with changing legislation, agricultural transition, and of course, the impact of COVID-19 on many rural businesses. Those pressures will drive some businesses to think differently and possibly consider new income streams. Today, we're joined by CLA member Caroline Lowsley-Williams, who has taken advantage of the media potential of her beautiful home, Chavenage House, near Tetbury, as a filming location. We'll hear how these opportunities have arisen, the challenges it may present, and Caroline's advice for other members considering filming as a part of their wider business. We're also joined by Tom Mason. Tom is a chartered surveyor and advises members in the Southwest. Tom obtained a master's in rural land and business management from the University of Reading prior to spending four years at a national firm of surveyors, advising clients on estate management, access and rights of way, planning, valuations, and agricultural subsidy schemes. Tom joined CLA Southwest in June 2020. Well, welcome, Caroline and Tom. Thank you ever so much for joining this podcast episode episode. And Caroline, if I can just turn to you first, can you tell us a bit about your background uh, and uh, tell us more about Chavenage House? Yeah, certainly. I start really, it's more of the house. We talk about it as Chavenage, but really that's encompassing the estate, the farm, cottages, and an Elizabethan manor house um, in the middle. Um, there have only been two families living in the house since the time of Elizabeth I, and we're very much the secondary family. Like, I suppose, everybody in our part of the world, the Cotswolds, originally the house was built on the back of the sheep. Um, Unfortunately, sheep farming is not going to keep the house in good order, and we're looking for other ways to keep the house going on to the next generation and generations after that. I um, I don't know what I describe myself. I sort of general... Um, bottle washer, I suppose, is the best thing. But I look after the sort of admin of the family and and the sort of business around the house. We've been open to the public for the last 50 years. My father took the opportunity of getting a grant out to re-roof the house in the early 70s. And to, um, our payback was giving public access. And really, having given public access, we're naturally untidy. And so we moved to the back of the house. And so the front of the house was relatively ready to be used um, in whatever way, weddings, group visits, and then more latterly filming. Um, And then obviously filming is not just confined to the house. And I've managed to make 
had woods filmed. Uh, we have a duck pond that's been filmed. And, you know, if they're going to film something on a track, why not be my track? And so we're building that up. And there are other enterprises on the farm. We are going into glamping. Uh, we've got a cafe open on the estate now. Uh, but core business, I suppose, still is farming. And tell us a bit more about the core business. So what farming enterprises do you manage there? When I grew up, it was very much a mixed farm and the dairy was a big part of it. Sadly, um, in our part of the world, TB has really caused terrible angst um, to any sort of cattle farmer. And we were breeding a pedigree herd of cows. Uh, We'd been to Canada, bought um, lovely heifers and brought them over. And then we had very bad TB and eventually it just didn't seem cost effective to carry on. Uh, with the dairy. So the dairy is gone. Um, we have other people's sheep on the estate and we have a few horses and the odd chicken or two. So sadly, it's no longer a mixed farm. It is arable. Uh, we grow all the classic crops, wheat, barley. Um, we did go out of rape. We've gone back into rape this year. And it is done really with zero tillage on the estate. We're very much using green fertilizer and things like that. And really looking to put, get as much sort of um, help from various grants, et cetera, as we can. Um, farming really for the environment, I suppose, would be the way forward. And that's certainly the, the policy direction, uh, uh, as we've um, heard so much around DEFRA's future plans for farming policy in England and indeed in Wales as well. It's it's going down the direction of public money for, for public goods. But but interesting, alongside your core farming enterprise, you, you've obviously got a, a, a huge variety of enterprises within the confines of, of the manor house. And, and you said there that you've been open to the public uh, for, for almost 50 years, if I got that right. Uh, that's a, quite a significant amount of time. What, what's been your experience of, of sharing Chavenage with the public? Well, when we started in the early 70s, um, people would come park at the front door and be met by my father or the butler. And uh, whichever you met, whoever met you gave you a tour of the house. And we fulfilled our obligation. Cleverly, we opened on a Thursday afternoon which was early closing in Tepri, so nobody came. Um, and we were fulfilling our obligation, but um, it wasn't really compromising our lifestyle, uh, living in the front of the house. But things changed in the mid-70s. Um, you know, times were sort of harder. Um, the butler retired and there was no longer any indoor staff. And the family really relocated to the back of the house. And, you know, the front was sort of, Oh, it was easier to show somebody the library when you knew there was, you know, there was no remains of breakfast in there or anything like that. <laughs> um, and we sort of built that sort of side up. And then my sister actually um, trained as a full-time cook, a, well, a professional cook with Prue Leith, who's now on Bake Off. And so she thought, well, if we're going to get the people, we might as well give them a tea or a lunch. And we built that up. And, you know, a group visit arriving a busload of 50 tourists and you get them into the house, give them a cup of tea and a biscuit, and then show them around and then maybe give them a light lunch. You can be taking £25 a head off them. And prior to um, COVID, I mean, the bus, buses or the coaches seem to get bigger. They could cram 50 people on a coach. And, you know, with me, myself and my brother guiding, you know, they were very happy. 
lot. So I think that side of the business is really going to drop off. The demographic, well, the elder generation, and whether they'll want to be crammed into rooms and be guided around houses, I'm not so sure. But but alongside that, you've also developed a very successful business um, offering Chavenage as a venue, as, as, as a filming destination for some high-profile um, productions. Tell us a bit more about that. Yeah, um, it really started with my father. Um, he was very keen on the sort of film world um, when he was a child prior to television. On a Monday night, they would go to Dursley Cinema, Tuesday night, to Tepri Cinema, Wednesday to Malmesbury, um, Thursday, I think they had a night off. But so that as a family, he was terribly keen on filming. And we first picked up really the big film um, was Barry Lyndon. And that was Stanley Kubrick. And that was, you know, a, a director on the top of his game, very particular. And um, we had the scene when Ryan O'Neill had his leg cut off, um, filmed in the attic. Um, of the house and for me at the time I was at school and to have Ryan O'Neill who was then famous for being in Love Story was a huge coup and we really enjoyed that it was as a top film um, I can't remember if it was Warner Brothers but it was a big big uh, production house and they had lovely canteens and food and everything like that and as a family we're quite keen on our food and so when we realised you got free food with filming, we were very open to filming thereafter. Um, the food hasn't been quite so good since, but we still enjoy the free food we get. And then it really, we were lucky. We picked away at filming. We had a um, Hercule Poirot. Um, they did a celebration for Agatha Christie's 100th birthday, which she didn't actually obviously make. And they did the first of her books with Poirot called The Mysterious Fair at Styles, And that was filmed whenever she was 100. I mean, it's in the early 90s. And they found a beautiful, um, picturesque village not so uh, far away called Eastern Grey. And they loved the bridge so much that was going to be where Poirot met Hastings for the very first time. And in those days, they then hired a helicopter and zoomed around looking for a suitable manor house to play Styles. And we were luckily chosen. So that was how they found us from above, as it were. And we did that and various other things there. We had, I mean, more uh, sort of odd days filming. Uh, we had a, a series which was set in the Civil War and all quite exciting things. And then we were chosen to be, the BBC decided to recreate Are You Being Served? It was then called Grace and Favour. And the staff of the old um, shop in London, they were given Mr. old Mr. Grace's house in the country. And then Chavenage played Millstone Manor, which actually is probably a rather apt name for it. And <laughs> it was then um, really how, you know, Miss, Mr. Humphreys, Miss, Mrs. Slocum tried to run a country estate. And actually probably, you know, it, it was interesting then, you know, they tried various enterprises, which all failed. But still there was the quintessential English countryside, you know, a cricket match on front on the lawn, um, milking the goat, et cetera, et cetera. And um, we did that. Then we did go and people ask, you know, how did you get it? There were one or two location companies at that time and we signed up for them and we always did it 
But if they brought business to us, they could set the fee. And as long as we got what we had sort of pitched for, they could take a commission that way. We've never paid to be on somebody's books as such. Uh, we've always taken it after um, a production has arrived. And thereafter, I mean, I suppose 207, we had Sunday night drama again, and that was Mark Rise to Candleford. They filmed um, in Wiltshire at Box or Corsham, and that was Lark Rise, and we were Candleford Manor. And at that stage, um, the location manager for that um, saw that Bristol area was, or the southwest, was very, um, well, ripe for filming, I suppose, mm -hmm. and people were interested in filming. And she really was the instigator of setting up the Bottle Yard Studios in Bristol. And they um, giving place for people to go and have units, etc. And that really was the start of a lot of filming in the Southwest. And cl clearly, you've built a reputation uh, over over the past uh, few, few decades as a as a as a very authentic manor house, a fantastic venue to, to film. And clearly, it's it's a combination of of the welcome um, that those production companies get from you as a family to the place, and the, and the access that you can provide them, uh, and, and all the fa fabulous filming locations that you, that you can pr provide. But in terms of running it as a business, is there a constant stream of inquiries to deal with, or is it more of an ad? hoc basis can you plan what revenues you're likely to have year on year or is it very sporadic totally sporadic um filming really is the guilt on the gingerbread um having said that i think you there are estates um we haven't done it but i went and spoke at a place up near manchester and they had converted farm buildings into studios so there is absolutely the way to go in it and possibly we made a the wrong decision when we went out of dairying. Um, it was suggested to me that we made the big barns into um, studios and things like that. And I was all, we're always rather worried. We like to speculate with other people's money rather than our own money and such. <laughs> um, and I, I was just scared of doing that. Um, but having said that, the old dairy buildings have proved a very valuable. Uh, when you film, there is what they call a unit and they need parking. And the other thing we could offer is we got hard standing for about 100 cars up there. And that makes a huge difference if you can offer them that as well. Because, you know, what they don't want to be is stuck in a field and paying to be dragged out. They are huge um, vehicles. You know, it, it's not just one man or cameraman. But having said that, there's all types of filming. Um, you know, there's sometimes people just want to come and park in your yard because they're filming on the road outside. Um, what are you going to charge for the day for that? Then there's the other one, uh, you know, they want to production, they want to film with you for two and a half months. What are you going to do for that? We have been approached for the rather scarier ones um, when they want to do the family, you know, pitch the fly on the wall of you. Um, mm. We're very good <laughs> at, we're rather better behind the camera than in front of it, really, I think. <laughs> How does it all fit in with the running of the estate and the house? Because I assume if you're having a large production being filmed at any one time and they require significant access and, and large parking areas and, and for, the, for their containers and, and all the paraphernalia that, that comes alongside the filming, does that really have an impact? Do you have to close the house to the public for, for, for periods of time? 
we've always tried not to close the house because our visits have been booked well in advance of the filming as such. Uh, filming used to be um, very sort of, well, not well, gentlemanly, but, you know, you would be approached, then they would have a lot of pre-production, people coming back and forth. Now it's almost can be overnight. I mean, they're much shorter time um, lead up. And so you suddenly have a big production and you look down and you've got, you know, the ladies from West Wales from the sewing club have booked since two years prior to come round for a tea, I mean, a tour and a tea. What do you do? As a family, I always felt obliged to the, whale, um, to the first booking. But, mm. you know, you've got to think financially. And it wasn't really until we had a very big production for the feature film Emma. They were filming in early 2019. And, you know, they said they really were big. They made Poldark look small. And I couldn't believe that because I thought Poldark was huge. But they mm. really were big. And we had two busloads going. And I just had to ring them up and said, look, I'm really sorry. Um, can, I can give you any other date in the year, but it's just impossible for you to come while this is going on. One was very obliging. The other people weren't at all happy, to be honest. They didn't like it at all. You know, they were, said they'd you know, booked for ages. And I felt very guilty about it. But, you know, it was, it was the sort of four and a half thousand pounds a day for Emma or the, you know, 300 pounds for, for the, the visit. I mean, it was very, you know, you had to be hard about it. And I still feel guilty. Yeah, it's a difficult one. You've got to be flexible, but then you've got to make commercial decisions uh, for, 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 for the running of the, of the yeah. estate uh, as, as well. In terms of, you know, would you recommend other people in your position to explore the possibility of filming as an income stream with all the experience that you've de- developed and built over the years? Do, do you think this is some, something other estates and other landowners, rural businesses could consider? I certainly do think so. And I think they ought, if they're interested, um, you can uh, register free with uh, your local film agencies and things. There are local, if you want to go further, um, location managers are based locally. And you can sort of build up a rapport with that. I mean, I've now forgotten what they're called, but they work called Screen Southwest. Um, they're the, the government funded ag- agency where you can register. And, um, but you've got to accept filming. There is people doing a professional job. And once you've committed and said, yes, they can use your barn, and you've, but then something the harvest comes in a day, you know, a week early, you can't tell them they can't use your barn. And so, it, you know, it is full, you want to fully commit or not commit at all, uh, really. It's, it's, it, it, we're very happy. Um, we've grown up with people using our loos, for example, when they're doing weddings. Um, my mother's bathroom was the ladies' loo. And so we, we're prepared to accept that. But if, you know, you don't want people uh, arriving at six o'clock um, on your place and you don't want people looking through the windows and things, don't do filming. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. 
Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. The Country Land and Business Association have been safeguarding the interests of landowners and rural businesses since 1907. We lobby government continually on behalf of our members to give them the security and certainty to invest in their land and business. Our in-house professional advisory team offers members independent and impartial advice on every aspect of land ownership and rural business management to ensure the positive development of the rural economy. If I can bring you in here, you know, you've been working with a number of businesses, I'm sure, who are looking at ways in which they can diversify potentially or or, or secure alternative income streams. Uh, what's what's your view? Do you think this is a potential uh, opportunity for some businesses, and, and is this a time where you're seeing you're sensing there's there's a an appetite to to diversify amongst uh, CLA members? Yeah, certainly. I mean, as Caroline's alluded to, as and, and we discussed earlier on, the so the changing landscape around whether it's policy and the agricultural transition away from basic payment scheme um, and um, other pressures, including changing legislation around residential properties. And these are all putting financial pressure on rural businesses and farms and estates. Um, and filming is is a very lucrative uh, or potentially very lucrative income stream for some some of our members um and as caroline said it's it's one of those things that as long as you're as long as you're happy with the intrusive nature or you appreciate and understand that it is quite an intrusive um process uh, it is certainly something worth exploring um and at a time where historic houses and estates are, are incredibly costly places to manage and maintain um, to, the, to the standards um, that people want to. Uh, filming offers quite a, does offer a very good opportunity um, to kind of boost that revenue um, and try and, let's say, invest money back into to the rural business. And uh, Caroline, I know you mentioned earlier about the um, the occasions whereby uh, the, the the filming and the visitor um, experience can can conflict at times. You, you might have have bookings for people who want to visit and and uh, and enjoy the house, but you also have inquiries over filming. But but I'm sure the fact that you have been a, a high profile filming destination has brought more visitor interest to Chavenage. Certainly has our last high profile of film, well, TV production was pulled up and that had a fantastic advertising. There was a picture of Aidan Turner uh, with his torso in every newspaper and that resulted in a lot of groupies and girls coming, well, mainly women, um, to stand where Aidan had stood to come and see where he sighed and then they sighed in the background, as it were. And certainly it was our... Uh, hook 
on all our advertising to the public, you know, Chavenage as seen in Poldark. So there is a big benefit if you want more footfall to have filming because you can always use it in your advertising. Teletourism has built up hugely, and especially internationally. Um, PSB in America show all the English programs and they're tied up with Viking cruises. And prior to lockdown, we were going to have 48 visits from Americans hubbing in Oxford and going to visit Downton, Acker Highclere, coming to us and then going to Oxford to see where Morse was and occasionally going across to Grantchester and then going you know, on their river cruise wherever. And so that's what they were selling it as a tele, tele, um, tele holiday, I suppose. And have you used that in your marketing campaigns and how active are you on, on things like social media? Did you find that as, as a very important part of your advertising campaign? Yes. I mean, if, but we've always done it in a rather sort of um, amateurishly way. Um, um, we, in a way, I've always thought either you go out, you know, to keep a house going or an estate going, you go out and earn a huge amount of money in the city you know, hedge funding or whatever. We didn't know what hedge funding was. We thought it was something at the bottom of the garden, as it were. Um, <laughs> and so we had to do the work ourselves this end. And so we hardly employ anybody directly. Um, I run the office. My brother, George, um, really is the groundsman. And my sister, Joanna, is the cook. And if you don't employ a huge amount of people, you don't need to have a huge income stream. Therefore, you don't need, you know, to have people with you 24-7. But that is not going to be the situation going forward. And the estate is earmarked to go to my nephew, my brother's eldest son, who is actually a professional cyclist. And he will need to have people on the estate. You know, there is, and he is the one who's been back backing this cafe we've opened. And he is what you call an influencer. I didn't know what that was either. <laughs> he has more than 50,000 people following him on Instagram. And oh, wow. he did a podcast. He works for a company called GCN who uh, do cycling um, videos and uh, uh, online videos. And he and my brother just did one of my brother on a motorized e-bike against James on his racing bike. And they had, you know, 200,000 viewers. Um, and if you turn that round and mention the house, um, you know, it's fantastic advertising. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and with, with, with the filming productions that take place and, and with, um, with one eye on, on offering advice to other CLA members about the specifics, would you think there are some key points that you would say all, all people should, um, should consider before diving into to offering their venue as, uh, as a filming destination, as a filming venue? Because um, I'm sure there's a lot of practicalities that you've learned over the years, uh, the, the, the highs and lows, I'm sure. What would be your sort of uh, pieces of advice? Well, the first person you ever meet with filming is the location manager. And they're the sort of person, they're so nice, you really want to go to bed with them. They're, I mean, um, they are the real acceptable face of filming, really, the location manager. You know, they come in, and if you ever want to get in someone's house, you say you're a location manager and everyone opens the doors. So they are the people. And in a way, they want to be your friend because they're filming, it's all independence as such, getting together for a production generally. 
So they're all freelance. And not only do they want to work with you for that production, but maybe come back with another one. And so they don't want to upset you. And equally, you don't upset them. So as long as you can work with the location manager and get, and they're pretty honest and really work out how big it's going to be um, and ask them a lot of questions and they will answer honestly. But you've got to be honest too. If you'd planned, yeah. you know, to have your daughter's wedding and you, your, your wife wanted to attend four days decorating the house and that happened to be in filming, obviously it's going to cause great angst. Or if you're running a bed and breakfast and you can't make a noise before eight o'clock, that's going to cause great angst if you've given them free access. If there is a problem, say it up front, you know, we can't film on Friday such and such because something's happening. They can work around it. What they can't do, it's a big ship and it's very slow to turn around if you suddenly make different um, options. The other thing is money. Money is always a difficult um, conversation. I think farmers are quite good at the one. It um, sometimes... Other ones aren't so good. And it's one which comes fairly late in the day. Uh, but I always suggest to people when they look at the money, look at the whole package. Um, you get offered money for the actual film days or shoot days, as they call them, and prep and reinstatement or strike days. And so if you're having filming for two weeks with 10 days preparation and five days strike, that comes to quite a big total, a total which is difficult to create any other way without you personally doing any work. Um, you know, you know, you haven't got to drill the field or milk the cow or whatever. But, you know, that's a way of looking. If you're only having one day's filming, obviously the price per day might be a bit more expensive. Um, there are agents out there who would help you, but I think it is a gut feel. Um, I think the CLA certainly have people who know and historic houses do. But sometimes you've just got to make a decision and it's always a, quite a difficult one because on the day of the filming, you suddenly see, you know, how much money they're spending on other things. But still, the location department is one of the most expensive of the whole production. And so you think, golly, look, they brought in a, I don't know, a crane costing whatever, but I'm only getting X. But overall, um, the location fee has always come the most. Yeah. Uh, and Tom, what's your advice around having sound contracts in place uh, between production companies and, and uh, landowners? Yeah, I, that's certainly going to be probably the most important thing if for anyone looking to explore filming as a, as a business opportunity on their on their farm or estate. Um, as Caroline's very correctly said, uh, asking lots of questions and being open and honest up front is, is key. Um, and then recording recording all of those discussions and conversations within the contract um, will then make sure that everyone is on an even playing field and everyone knows what to expect. Um, the other side of that as well is obviously if if you're not if it's something if filming is a new venture for you um and say you're not entirely sure about the company's reliability or you may not recognize the, the company that have approached you um we'd also say that you should make inquiries about the company and perhaps do some company searches before you even let them on site to have that discussion uh, and look at the property um and uh, say that it's that's just a way again of, of obviously trying to protect protect yourself um should you have you know i mean there is the potential for some rogue operators 
places that may um, use a property inspection as a way of having a look around um, and and getting an idea of the of the security systems or something in place. So that's just something to be kind of considerate of. Uh, in terms of more the more detailed side of it, once you get to the actual contracts and agreeing a contract with um, with a filming company, you want to make sure that you cover things like the liability and insurances um, and indemnity for any damages um, that may occur to the property during the filming to make sure that you are well protected um, and that the filming company uh, or the production company are going to be responsible should any should unfortunately any damage occur to any aspects of the property. Um, and so I think those are those are the probably the primary considerations, um, especially around drawing contracts and just making sure that you're you're well protected going into that agreement. And do production companies sometimes offer to to cover the legal costs of of the landowner or farmer uh, in in drawing up the agreement and, and negotiating the terms? We certainly see that that is something that is not unreasonable to to expect or to ask for. Um, not sure, but Caroline's probably obviously got plenty of first-hand experience, but certainly discussions that I've had with other members and, and clients in previous lives is, is that um, it's not unreasonable to ask for, for the filming companies to cover your legal costs for that process of drawing the contract up and, and um, agreeing all the terms. As long as um, they sign it off, um, you know, they're very happy to pay for anything as such. It's when you, at the end of the day, say, oh, by the way, my legal costs were X, you know, and it's out of their as long as they're budgeted for it, they're paid. So individual productions act in a different way. But what I would say is it all happens quite fast. And in the nice sort of world, you know, you'd get a contract, you'd send it to your lawyer, you'd get it. And when we were filming, we had the contract as eventually arrived um, almost as the lorries came in. And, you know, I had to take that on, <laughs> um, you know, decision to let them do it. The, you know, they kept saying, we'll get the contract. There was various problems. And, you know, it was on my head, really be it. But I would say also do tell your own insurance company if you're having filming on site too um, and let them know it's one of the things, you know, they, they might not pay for something if they said, oh, you've had filming on the place. Um, but it is always, it is changed in the speed of how everything happens. But we're, you know, we can all look up company searches or we can get help from other people. And I totally endorse that you should look up a production company because in the good old days, it was the BBC or Granada or something like that. Now every production create their own company. And so um, Poldark was called Poles 2 or something was a, a limited company for that particular production. So it is always important to do your due diligence in, in, in advance. And, and whilst, you know, clearly you must have a sound contract in place, but, but also you need to have good relationship with the people on the ground. And I'm sure with you living on site as well, you'd have daily contact with the production managers and, and those responsible. And, and that's a key relationship in all of this. Absolutely. I mean, you know, it makes all the difference. Generally, I mean, my office is quite close to the house. Um, I've got room to have other two other people in it. Dur normally during production, I would let the location uh, manager use it as his office as well, which means you're in the know a bit. You hear the conversations going on, um, but you're also there to answer any questions um, when they arise, you know, whether you can move such and such or can that clock be switched off. You hear it, you're, you can work. Right, but you can employ what they call a curator or a custodian, um, and they will pay for somebody on your behalf 
to be watching the filming, um, you know, at £200 a day or whatever you've agreed, um, whether it's you or somebody else. But going on the wider things, um, what we've had difficulty um, filming, they came and looked at a rather nice avenue of trees and it was all set up. This was for um, Tess of the D'Urbervilles. And of course, what we hadn't sort of realised that in the three weeks uh, between doing the technical recce and the actual shooting, oilseed rape had suddenly gone into flower. And oilseed rape wasn't around in the time of um, that. <laughs> of course. Um, that, that's the other thing. Um, we are careful not to have tram lines when you're looking out from the house. Yeah. Um, that sort of thing. Uh, we've done a bit of planting and we've done it very much out of the... Uh, I wanted some more parkland and trees, but, and we've had to obviously fence them individually. But again, been quite careful not to have them on the eye line from any filming. Um, and we've had we had a film when they wanted a tree to be a hangman's tree, and they got an arborist to come, and they literally took off every leaf to make it look dead um, to a certain wow. height, and then left the other ones on top because I didn't want to kill the tree. Um, so, you, you know, there are sort of lots of things. And also the other way is to try to think you um, try to find out what they want to film because they may have come to you just to film, you know, an, a cottage or um, or something, but they may want something else. And, you know, if you, mm -hmm. the more you can chat away and find out, you say, oh, well, we've got the perfect dew pond or we've got the perfect, um, you know, broken down substance and such. And, Sometimes it, it, what they do like is the more less done up places and that's getting more and more difficult to find. Yeah, it's a, it's a chance to do some upselling yes. <laughs> when, when, they're, when they're on site is a good piece of advice. Uh, how has COVID-19 had an impact? Clearly it's had an impact on the visitor side of, of the business. Has it also impacted the filming enterprise? Yes, um, it did. I mean, in a way, but Emma, which was a global um, film, was released on... February the 14th, 2020. And it was just building up the publicity and things on that. And then COVID came, obviously. So that never quite got the coverage we hoped for visitor numbers. Um, then there was no filming at all. Till about mid-last summer, we were approached and the BBC were terribly keen to get a Christmas drama in, in the can as such. And they were doing Nancy Mitford's The Pursuit of Love and they came and said, could we film? It was just when they were trying to work out how they could film in a COVID bubble, et cetera. And we thought we were going to get it. So we were thrilled. Uh, but then we were <laughs> sort of rather out-trumped by badminton. And they, they went there. So that was one we lost, but we gained um, other things. And we've just done, oh, we, uh, earlier in March, we had a period drama called Becoming Elizabeth which is uh, the early life of Queen Elizabeth I. And so we probably wouldn't have got that if we had Pursuit of Love. So you win some and you lose some. And we were also used during lockdown as a studio for interviews. Um, people didn't want to go down to cities, and, but they were quite happy to be. These are Christmas interviews, really. We had Channel 5 talking about what people bought for clothes, clothes for Christmas. The BBC did some tribute interviews. And so there is always something going on. And, you know, you just, it really, filming was one thing which could carry on during COVID. 
and it has gone from strength to strength. The um, American business um, of investing hugely, there's no office, I'm sorry, studio space anywhere near London. There are new studios being built at Filton um, to sort of do this side of Bristol. The bottle yard was the other side. And you can hardly find a crew at the moment. Everybody is busy. Um, which is fantastic. Yeah, absolutely. And, and and Tom, if I can just bring you in very quickly there as, as, as a final question to, to you. What, what's your advice to, to, to listeners potentially listening to this podcast who's con- who are considering uh, entering this this type of business or, or offering their their properties as as filming venues? What's what's your final piece of advice to them? Yeah, certainly. I'd, I'd say for for anyone who is considering it, um, the first point of call probably would be call call your local CLA regional office or speak to the Historic Home Association, as Caroline said, sorry, Historic Houses Association. Um, and so between us and them, um, we will be able to kind of advise on the practicalities, what you need to consider um, and how to say, how to go about getting started with it. Um, and so one, one of the other points I meant to mention earlier under the due, due diligence uh, element of it is um, always make sure to ask what the subject matter of the film is. Um, I do have an example, which I, I shan't name, but they um, they they failed to do that and uh, were slightly shocked about what one of the uh, what one of the elements of the filming that was being carried out on site was. Um, so that's definitely something very important to consider. But yeah, for, for anyone thinking of of doing this, do feel free to contact contact us at the CLA or Historic Houses Association and um, and say we will be able to advise you through um, those first steps and getting started. That's a sound advice uh, there, Tom. Uh, and finally, uh, to you, Caroline, just before we finish, are there any upcoming filming projects which you're particularly excited about? Those you can tell us, which aren't subject to any confidentiality? No, no, we have to be careful. Um, Becoming Elizabeth has been commissioned. Um, that's a called Stars production. That's Disney. And that's been for two more series after the first, yes, two more runs, as they now call them, after the first one. So hopefully they will come back. We play um, the Earl of Leicester's house, um, and he's involved quite a long time. Um, we've got a rom-com looking. I can't say much more because I don't know much more about it. I know uh, the director is coming on Monday. That's a London production. Um, we've had another thing looking in the 1930s. Um, the advantage of our house, it dates back to 1576. So we have a bigger slate, as it were, for um, historic dramas. And I can't really tell you any more, but there's four. I've got four irons in the fire. I might be lucky and get two. I might be unlucky and get nothing. My word of advice uh, to anybody filming is enjoy it. If you go in it with that attitude, it's great. If you're going with fear and trepidation, avoid it. Yeah, well, that's some really good advice uh, as, as well. I've enjoyed in your company, both Caroline and, and Tom. Uh, this is a, a window into a world I know very little about, and I think it's been fascinating. Congratulations, Caroline, and your family for all you, the things you've achieved at Chavenage. And Tom, thanks once again for, for your really sound advice all the way through. Um, I'm sure our listeners have really, really enjoyed this episode. Thank you both very much indeed. Thanks, Alan. Thank you very much. If you're not a member of the CLA, you can join today. More information can be found on our website, www.cla.org.uk. Thank you for listening, and I hope you can join us again soon.
You've been listening to the Rural Business Uncovered podcast, the CLA's weekly podcast released every Friday. You can find all our episodes wherever you get your podcasts or just search Rural Business Uncovered on your chosen podcast provider. Remember to hit subscribe or follow to make sure you don't miss an episode. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.